Mountain State Mysteries contains adult content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Mark. And I'm Courtney. And this is Mountain State Mysteries. Today, we want to tell you the story of a couple who was enjoying a date night out in Charleston, West Virginia. A night that would sadly be the last time anyone would ever see them. This is the story of the disappearance of Maisie May Sigmund Palmer and the murder of Jay Farley. On Saturday, July 14th, 1979, 25-year-old Maisie May Sigmund Palmer and 18-year-old John Eric Farley, better known as Jay, so from here on out, we're going to call him that, were enjoying a date night in Charleston, West Virginia. The two had been seeing each other for a little over a month and were doing what most of the young crowd in Charleston would do on a Saturday night. They were going to different nightclubs and bars. They were seen leaving the Roaring Twenties nightclub on Hill Street. They walked together through a parking lot behind what used to be the Holly Hotel on Courier Street. Not too long after, the two got a ride to the King. Not too long after, the two got a ride to the King's Inn nightclub on Charleston's west side. Maisie May Sigmund Palmer was born on November 24, 1954 in Sissonville, West Virginia. In 1974, she graduated from Sissonville High School and later married Kenneth Wayne Palmer. Unfortunately, we could not find out much about their marriage, but we do know that just three months before her disappearance, the two divorced in 1979. Anyone who knew Maisie would say she was always friendly and very outgoing, that she was a free spirit but could sometimes be naive. Anyone who knew Maisie said she was always friendly and very outgoing, that she was a free spirit, but could sometimes be naive, just wanting to see the best in everyone in every situation. Maisie grew up in Sissonville, but during the time, but during the time of her disappearance, she was living with Mr. and Mrs. Ira Huber at 901 Main Street in Charleston, West Virginia. John Eric Farley, also known as Jay, was born in Hurricane, West Virginia in 1961. Around the age of seven, his parents would get divorced. Around the age of seven, his parents would get a divorce and his mother moved to Antioch, California. It was originally planned for Jay to join his mother and brother in California. But in 1970, Jay had a bicycle accident where he broke his arm and it was decided it would be best if he stayed in West Virginia. Jay lived with his grandmother, Desi Farley, in Dunbar, West Virginia. During the summer of 1979, Jay's father recalled that Jay applied for a few different jobs and someday wanted to join the Navy. 
In early June of 1979, Jay and Maisie would meet for the first time, either at the former Boulevard Recreation Center or the Roaring Twenties nightclub. We aren't sure what they labeled each other. By July of 1979, but from our research, they were dating. According to Jay's father in an interview from 1982, that Jay and Maisie had been dating for several weeks, but he wouldn't describe it as going steady. You're listening to Mountain State Mysteries. On Saturday, July 14th, 1979, the day started as any typical day for Jay. He spent some of the day with his father and stepmother. He went out for a little bit and returned home around 9 p.m. so he could change his clothes. According to his grandmother, he changed into a pair of blue denim jeans, a pink, blue, and white plaid shirt with brown hiking boots. She asked him if he needed any money for the evening, and Jay told her no. Around 9.30 p.m., Jay was picked up at his grandmother's home in Dunbar by his friend, Kevin Withrow. They drove to Charleston and went to the Roaring Twenties nightclub that was located on the second floor of a building on Hill Street. Around 10 p.m., Maisie was dropped off at the Roaring Twenties by Ira Hubert. Hubert said Maisie was dressed in blue jeans, a pink blouse, long earrings, and had a small blue purse. According to Jay's friend Kevin, he said that Jay went to the Roaring Twenties just to see Maisie. Just an hour later, around 11 p.m., Maisie and Jay were seen in Hell Street just outside of the Roaring Twenties nightclub. According to a friend of Jay's who was parked nearby, he asked if he could get a ride home to Dunbar. His friend said that he wasn't planning on leaving anytime soon. After that, Jay and Maisie crossed Hill Street and started walking east to Dickinson Street. A friend watched the two walk through an empty parking lot to Dickinson Street to another empty parking lot behind what used to be the Holly Hotel. The time was between... 11 p.m. and midnight. Maisie and Jay would end up getting a ride with a man named Bill Cottrell, who drove them to the King's Inn, which was another nightclub, which was located on Charleston's west side at 1608 2nd Avenue. Cottrell recalled that when he was pulling into the parking lot of the King's Inn nightclub, Maisie made the comment, oh, he's in there. Cottrell had no idea who she was talking about. To us, we believe this comment was made about her ex-husband. Cottrell believed that she did not feel the presence of this person to be any kind of threat as the three of them entered the nightclub. When Maisie entered the King's Inn, she talked to a friend from high school named Karen Carpenter, who was leaving the club as they were walking in. Karen later said that she didn't feel like anything was different about Maisie's demeanor and described her as being her usual self. The three entered the club and took a table on the ground floor after ordering a round of drinks. 
Maisie excused herself and said that she was going to the upstairs bar to talk to someone. Jay and Cottrell stayed at the table. We can't help but wonder if the person she was going to talk to was the he that she mentioned before going into the nightclub. After finishing his drink, Jay also excused himself from the table and went to the upstairs bar and went to the upstairs bar. Cottrell remembered this happened at midnight on July 15th, 1979. From what authorities put together, this was the last time both Maisie and Jay were seen alive. You're listening to Mountain State Mysteries. Jay and Maisie didn't return home the next morning. The Huberts weren't too concerned in the beginning because they knew that Maisie would often spend the night with friends after going out. Jay's family, on the other hand, were worried and alarmed from the beginning. Jay's friends said that he was very close to his family, in particular his grandmother, and that it was not like him to be gone for a length of time without a phone call to someone. When Jay did not return home by the morning of July 16th, his stepmother contacted the Dunbar Police Department to report that her stepson was missing. Not too long after, Maisie's parents would do the same thing by contacting the Charleston Police Department. Jay's father said that him and Goldie, Jay's stepmother, had trouble convincing the Dunbar Police Department that his son was just not another runaway. In an interview with the Charleston Gazette, he said a missing person report was not filed until July 25th, 11 days after Jay went missing. He also said the Dunbar police never contacted him, that he had to do all of the calling to inquire if any progress had been made in the investigation. But Dunbar police chief W.W. Wallace said, quote, it was not a Dunbar police case. Really, since he disappeared in Charleston, there was no way they could have assigned a man full-time to the case. End quote. Since Jay was last seen in Charleston, the Charleston Police Department also became involved in the investigation of the disappearance of Jay. Charleston Detective Frank Fiddler was assigned to the case. Frank said in an interview with the Charleston Daily Mail, quote, the youth of a recent graduate of Dunbar High School was last seen in downtown Charleston late July 14th. Fiddler said he is 6 feet 4 inches tall, weighs 155 pounds, has light brown shoulder-length hair, and blue eyes. He was wearing a pink, blue, and white plaid shirt, blue jeans, and brown suede shoes when he disappeared. Fiddler said that Jay was a good kid with no problems from what we can determine. He had no reason to leave, end quote. The investigation into the disappearance of Maisie was assigned to Deputy John Seymour of Canal County Sheriff's Department. Although both Maisie and Jay disappeared on the same night and were both reported being last seen in the same place, there was no connection between the two cases that were noticed by law enforcement 
until January of 1980, when both of their names entered into the National Crime Information Center. At first, authorities felt like they might just be looking at a simple case of two runaways. However, if that was the case, there would have been a major stumbling block from the very beginning. Neither Jay or Maisie owned a car. Maisie did have her driver's license, but Jay did not. You may remember that we said Jay's grandmother asked him if he needed any money, and he said no. Police also found out that $200 to $300 that belonged to Jay's younger brother wasn't touched. It was made clear that Jay knew about the money because he and his younger brother both shared a room, so Jay would have had access to it if he had wanted to take it. A question that came up for both of us while doing the research on this case is that if Maisie and Jay were going to run away together, why did he pass up these chances to get the money? During the investigation, the public and authorities were divided on their opinions. Some thought that both Maisie and Jay both met with foul play that night, and the other believed that they simply ran away together to start a new life somewhere. Soon, a rumor would become an anonymous tip to Jay's dad, stating, that his son had been killed by members of the Dunbar Police Department in effort to prevent Jay from telling what he knew about a case of police brutality he was said to have witnessed. According to Dunbar's chief of police, W.W. W. Wallace, in 1982, this rumor apparently came from an incident where officers of the Dunbar Police Department were required to use force against someone who was being uncooperative, who was being escorted into the Dunbar City Hall on a drug-related charge. The altercation reportedly ended with the person receiving a laceration on their head. However, according to Wallace, no brutality suit was ever filed by the suspect, and therefore, there was no trial where Jay could have testified. Despite this, Jay's father said that he felt like the Dunbar Police Department had been both slow and negligent in their investigation. Chief Wallace said that the Dunbar Police Department had no say in the case because it happened in Charleston. Jay's father said that he felt drained following these disheartening incidents, and he took to wandering the streets of Charleston at 3 and 4 a.m., searching for some small piece of information in his son's case. Despite both cases being linked in the eyes of the law, each investigation ended up going cold. You're listening to Mountain State Mysteries. On May 10th, 1984, nearly five years after the disappearance of Jay and Maisie, and just 30 miles away, a security guard for Mars Sands Coal Company was making his usual rounds along Kennelton Hollow Road, concerned with several coal trucks due at the site had failed to arrive, the guard ventured from his normal routine to see if any of the trucks were stopped at the entrance or stuck on the road. It was near the entrance of a side road roughly 20 yards from the company's main road, 
where the security guard came up on a badly weathered set of skeletal remains. Even before a positive identification could be made, the Charleston Daily Mail reported, Skeletal remains found Thursday in Fayette County are those of a man who may have been dead as long as five years. Dr. Erwin Sofer, chief medical examiner, said the skeleton was that of a man aged from 20 to 24 and approximately 6 feet 2 inches tall. The man had been dead 1 to 5 years, Sofer said. The only piece of clothing remaining, a red and blue plaid shirt and a pair of orange and green athletic socks. The medical examiner would not comment whether there was evidence of foul play, saying such information appeared to be no damage to the skeleton. State Police Trooper D.R. Moore of the Gully Bridge Detachment said the skeleton was found between 6.30 and 7 a.m. Thursday, Kennelton Hollow. On the surface, by a road used as a secondary route, a security guard for a nearby coal company, coal mine operator Mar Sandscorp discovered the remains. Moore said nothing that we've had locally fits a description or ties the dead man with any pending area cases, Moore said. After reading this, Jay's stepmother Goldie got in touch with state police and provided them with a set of Jay's dental records. On May 12, 1984, West Virginia Medical Examiner Irvin Sofer announced that the remains had been identified as John Eric Farley. Sofer estimated that Jay had been dead between one to five years. Authorities noticed that the shirt found with the remains was identical to the one Jay had been seen wearing on July 14, 1979, as it was manufacturer of a polyester cotton blend, so Jay's shirt had not deteriorated over time. Police determined that Jay was either killed on or near the night he disappeared. Police were able to determine that Jay's hands were taped behind his back and that his death had occurred as a result of a shotgun wound. A single bullet slug was under the remains. However, the make and caliber, while known to the authorities, has never been made public. A search of the area where Jay's body had been found turned up no more evidence or the body of Macy May Sigmund Palmer. While Jay's remains were found across the county lines in Fayette County, the case passed to the West Virginia State Police. Just like everyone else, we've wondered how Jay got to Fayette County from Charleston, which is a distance of 30 miles and about 45 minutes. We know that Jay couldn't drive, so how did he get there? We think he was more than likely driven by his killer. But if this was the case, we can't help but wonder why. With evidence found at the scene where Jay's body was found, authorities were able to construct a number of plausible scenarios and moved ahead with a renewed investigation. With everyone thinking the discovery of Jay's body would help solve his murder and help find where Maisie was, 
both cases turned as cold as a West Virginia winter again. Jay's father never gave up hope that one day his son's case would be solved. Sadly, in 1996, John Farley passed away. For the family of Maisie May, Sigmund Palmer, the story was just as sad. Maisie's father, Vernon Sigmund, passed away on October 1st, 1994. Her mother, Thelma Pearl, lived another 24 years before passing away on June 8th, 2018. Today, the investigation into Jay's murder and the disappearance of Maisie May are still cold. With the cases being cold, authorities have not given up the hope that one day maybe the clue they've been searching for will appear. For nearly 44 years, the families of John Eric Farley and Maisie May Sigmund Palmer have been searching for answers as of who killed John Eric Farley and what happened to Maisie May Sigmund Palmer. Someone out there knows the truth. We believe that one day, the cases of these two innocent people will be solved. If you have any information on the murder of John Eric Farley, please contact. Please contact Michael Dickerson at the Gully Bridge Detachment of the West Virginia State Police at 304-779-2161. If you have any information on the disappearance of Maisie May Sigmund Palmer, please contact Michael Dickerson at the Gully Bridge Detachment of the West Virginia State Police at 304-779-2161. Or Crime Stoppers of West Virginia at 304-255-7867. You will remain anonymous if you provide any tip whatsoever to help solve these two cases. So Courtney, do you have any final thoughts on this case? There's always something heartbreaking about a disappearance. Um, I mean, I hate to say it, but I feel Jay's family got a little bit of closure knowing that his body was found, as opposed to Maisie's family, who still do not have a clue what happened to their daughter. Um, and her parents died not knowing whatever happened to her. Do I feel that her ex is involved in this a little bit? I do. I honestly do. Um, you, honestly, you can see someone walking down the street and everything will look perfect, but you don't know someone's home life. You don't know what someone has dealt with in their home life. And a lot of times people keep everything quiet and it's just disheartening. And honestly, I think Jay was an innocent victim. I think he was at they were both innocent victims, but he was literally at the wrong place at the wrong time. I think that's really, that's my opinion about this. Mark, do you have any final thoughts? I like you fully believe it was the ex-husband. 
I fully believe that Maisie might have saw him on the second floor, felt like she needed to go talk to him. Jay might have felt like she was gone too long, went up there, stood next to her, started talking to her. The ex-husband could have been drunk, started an argument, something like that. Then he could have killed Jay in the back of his car or something. Because to me, with his arms being duct taped, who's to say he wasn't in the back of a car and gosh. Well, where they mention his hands were taped together, he was definitely mm-hmm. killed execution style. Um, my father was Marine and he always taught me where the kill points were on someone's body. Um, he said you always want to aim directly towards the heart. The front of the skull right here right in the center in the very back of the skull those are the three kill points if you're thinking about doing that don't do it please don't do that my father was a marine okay this actually popped into my head while you were reading your part canal falls isn't really that far from where jay was found if i'm thinking correct like I could be completely wrong. I'm not good with maps, directions, anything. Um, it's actually, Kanoa Falls is actually up above um, Smithers. So you have to drive past a little bit. Honestly, it's not that far from there, though. I want to say maybe about 10, 15 minute drive. That's what I was thinking, because we've done this drive before coming from Charleston, not knowing about this case, really. But it literally just popped into my head the set of female remains that were found at Canal Falls. Could they be Maisie? I don't know if they've ever been identified or whatnot, but to me, there could be a good chance they could be Maisie because it's in that area. Also, too, it makes you wonder, like, if anybody is kin to her is still alive to where they could possibly provide some DNA, do a 23andMe, just something. That I'm not sure. I want to say she was an only child. I mean, I don't know, like, if her parents had any siblings or anything to where they could possibly get some of the DNA from to see, but it'd be very interesting if they did something like that. And I can say when we were writing down the list of our season two... Courtney and I had no idea that Maisie and Jay were even connected. We saw on Crime Stoppers just Maisie. We really didn't see anything about Jay. Then we got researching this and we're like, oh my god, this is so much bigger than we actually thought it was. And we just knew that we had to tell their story because it's such a sad story. And we really just want closure for Maisie's family just like Jay's family got it. I mean, it wasn't the perfect closure. No. Justice wasn't brought forth. No. But it was a little bit of closure. You know. Mm -hmm. Is the stepmother still alive? I want to say possibly. I tried to... I looked up on Find a Grave and... I want to say she possibly is still alive because 
I didn't see her name in there anywhere. But I'm not sure if it's him and his first wife or him and his second wife that are buried next to each other. Because I do want to say him and Goldie did split up for a little bit, but they got back together during all of this. Next time on Mountain State Mysteries, we're going to tell you the story of a man whose battered body was found in his home in Sissonville, West Virginia. If you find yourself enjoying Mountain State Mysteries, take a second to follow, download, and rate it on your favorite podcasting service. It helps others find Mountain State Mysteries. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For the show notes, check out our website, mountainstatemysteriespodcast.com. Thank you.